We're about to find out how little Koenig knows about everything. What do you mean, we, dude? Like, you're the one who put these measures in place. <laughs> you like that? Hello and welcome to another exciting edition of the Slightly Sideways Podcast, Episode 3. I am your host, Koenig, joined as always by my good friend and co-host, Corbin. Say hello to the people, Corbin. Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Hello, my ragtime gal. Hello, everyone. So wonderful for you to join us. we got a great show ahead of you guys today for this third episode of Slightly Sideways. We've got some more baseball news for you. We've got the NBA and the bubble down in Orlando. What else do we have for the people today, Corbin? We also have NHL coverage, so we'll go over the current playoff situation and the teams that are in and out as of right now. We'll go into some football coverage for all you football heads out there. And lastly, we will end with the unknown section. Stay tuned for more information on the unknown. Before we kind of get into our show here, we want to go ahead and crack open a cold one. Here on Slightly Sideways, we do like to have a few drinks while we have these conversations to keep it fun and light. Right now, I am going to be drinking a Danish beer, a Carlsberg, Ooh. a little bit different here. Uh, I've had this a couple times. I'd say I would recommend people to give it a shot. Koenig, what are you drinking there on your end? So I'm drinking in a Sea Dog Brewing Company glass, Sea Dog Brewing Company out of Camden, Maine. Shout out to Camden. I'm drinking an original classic Pabst Blue Ribbon. Ooh, baby. <laughs> oh, man. It's a heavy hitter, let me tell you. <laughs> I will say, I think that as far as like the cheap, cheap beers go, I think Pabst is pretty good, all things considered. Yeah, for light beer, it's it's okay. You know, you can get six tall boys for like $4 and just giving it away at the local markets. Hey, so. ain't, no, ain't no shame in that. But before we get into the show... If you haven't already, do give us a follow on our social medias at Twitter, at Slightly Sideway. If you're on Facebook, you can follow us at Slightly Sideways Podcast. If you have any feedback or ideas for future shows, you can email our business email at slightlysidewayspod at gmail.com. And if you miss our live show every Friday night at 8 o'clock p.m., you can always catch our on-demand version uploaded to Spotify every Sunday. Terrific. So like Koenig said, follow us. We greatly appreciate the support. We'll go ahead. We'll dive into our first topic here, Major League Baseball. They've actually just in the last week revealed a, a new safety protocol that they want to try to install to help things run a little bit smoother. They've had some issues here to start up with Corona cases and games being delayed and canceled. So Koenig, why don't you go ahead, if you could kind of tell us the, the bullet points for the new protocol and give me your opinion on if you think this will work or not. Yeah, it's, it was a six-page memo that went out to all the organizations in Major League Baseball, and, and we're not going to go into all six pages. We'd have an entire podcast just talking about that one topic. But the general gist of what Rod Manfred is trying to put out here is it's meant to increase mask wearing between players in dugouts, in hotels, and it's trying to do a better job at limiting player interactions, limiting large groups, preventing players from going out and doing certain things and large gatherings. And it even included a threat from the league to suspend any player or coach for the entire rest of the season if they have additional repeated or flagrant violations. Now, 
if it's going to work, I think it's going to take a lot of accountability in terms of the players are going to have to hold themselves accountable. The coaching staffs as well are going to have to hold their players accountable. And I don't see a whole lot of difference between what measures were in place at the beginning of the season. Clearly, it didn't really help with that outbreak because you saw the Marlins and the Cardinals, you know, two good examples of teams that are just not handling the situation well. Will this work? I don't know. It just really depends on if the teams are going to take it seriously. Corbin, what do you think about it? It's an interesting idea. My first impressions is it's a lot of hand-holding. It's Major League Baseball trying to tell these grown men kind of what they can and cannot do. And I understand they're trying to have a season that can be played out in full, which, you know, for the fans, that's the ultimate goal to get a season in and crown an eventual champion. I know personally that these players, that's a big thing when they go on these series, you know, they are adults, they have money, they like to do things, they like to have fun. They're not strictly purely baseball. Yes, their primary focus is on playing baseball and doing the best that they can, but there is a lot of going out and shopping and going to restaurants and clubs and stuff and just kind of living it up. So I think it's going to be very, very difficult to pretty much tell the players, hey, you have to run that permission by us first if you want to go do things. I don't know how it's going to work, but it's an interesting idea. We'll we'll have to kind of see how this unfolds and how players react to it. Yeah, I mean, it honestly seems that after the initial outbreak with the Marlins and with the Cardinals, it really doesn't feel like Rob Manfred has any intention of shutting down the season. It really feels like he's just going to go full steam ahead and do whatever he thinks he needs to do to get his games in. You know, the league doesn't want to be hemorrhaging money and losing a lot of money because of a lost season, more than they already are, to be honest. I I will say, (laughs) one thing that's kind of puzzling me here on this end is we're already having issues with games being delayed because of outbreaks and all that. Everybody's well-versed on that. But I think it's interesting that Major League Baseball is saying on top of that, hey, players, if you don't meet our requirements as far as what we think is permissible for you guys to go and do things, we're going to suspend you. So they're already having the issue where there's not enough players that can play for these games to be played with the outbreak alone. But on top of that, you're going to say, oh, if you don't do this, we're also going to suspend you. I just don't see how this makes any sense to have a season be completed. So... (laughs) I understand they're doing the best that they can to try to come up with stuff that'll work on their end. Do I think it's going to ultimately work? I'm skeptical. I'd probably say no. But there's so many weird things happening in this baseball season. And just looking at the standings right now, you can kind of see that it's a little wonky. Like, when I say wonky, what does that look like as far as the MLB standings right now? The Miami Marlins, one of those teams that were heavily affected by the outbreak, they're actually in first place in the NL East as of Friday evening at 6-1. and one. And you have a team like the Braves who've played seven more games than the Marlins, and they're in second place at 9-5. and five. So I'm not exactly sure how they're determining. I guess it's based off of win percentage, right? But... How do you reward a team like Miami for playing so few games by saying, oh, you know, you're in first place? I agree with the win percentage. That's, I mean, in the past, too, you know, you've had teams that have played maybe like two or three less games and they go to win percentage until the, the end of the season is ultimately done. 
it'll be interesting here because obviously they're going to have to make these games up for these specific teams. And it looks like the idea is for baseball to have these double headers, but the double headers are a little wonky. It looks like they're going to be seven inning double header games, which I think is a little ridiculous, especially because when they play double headers in the past during a regular season, they play nine inning games and they don't have any issue doing that. Does this make any sense to you, Koenig? No, it doesn't. I mean, the season is shortened anyways, and it's like if you're going to play a doubleheader, just play a doubleheader. What's the point in making it seven innings? However, I will say that Major League Baseball fans above any type of sport, they're very traditionalist. They're very, like, preserve baseball in its original form. And I get that to an extent, but I think baseball fans are, like, the least accommodating people in terms of, like, rules changes and things like that. When it originally came out that there was going to be these pace of play rule changes, you know, these old timers get off my lawn types were outraged, you know, that the game was changing or that rules were being implemented to change the original nature of baseball. So I don't necessarily agree with the seven inning doubleheader thing, but I do think that just baseball fans generally don't really like change. That's a good point, and I kind of fall in the territory of being one of those fans. I think the mantra that baseball kind of puts out there is, you know, it's old, it's America's pastime, and it's been around for so long, and now they're making these changes to the game, which is just for younger fans who want to see like improvements as far as like pace of play and like maybe like more runs scored. Like right now, they're also experimenting with the DH in both leagues with the 60 game season. I actually think that all these changes, this is actually, I think baseball likes this because I think baseball wants to experiment with things that will get a younger audience to watch the game. So I think this is all playing right to their hand that they want to play with uh, shortened doubleheader games as well as making changes to the DH and speeding up the game. So I, as a traditionalist, it irks me a little bit, but... It's what they want to do. I definitely do see that baseball is really trying to appeal to younger audience. It feels like every single year, the average viewer for baseball games is increasing, which is, from Major League Baseball's perspective, not what they want. They want to appeal to a younger audience, and they're trying to do things to their credit. They're trying to do things to appeal to that younger audience. It'll be interesting to see what changes that we've experienced this season will stick heading into Next season the and seasons after that, I mean, they're going, like you said, with the Universal DH. I'm obviously a fan of the DH. I'm a fan of an American League team. I know Corbin, maybe not so much a fan of the Universal DH. But I think it's meant to increase runs like fans and viewers. They want to see that high-scoring game. They don't necessarily want to see a pitcher's duel, like a one nothing, 2 nothing game. I think those days are days of the past in a lot of younger viewers' eyes. Yeah, we, I mean, we live in a culture where they need excitement and they need it now. And especially when you're competing against other sports like the NBA and football and even hockey, which are much, much more fast paced, quick hitting. There's a lot more going on in high scoring and baseball is just kind of in the background, just kind of doing what they've been doing for so long. And those other sports are getting more and more viewership, especially from younger people. So I understand it to an extent, but I that doesn't mean I have to agree with it. <laughs> That's a fair point. 
But, you know, time will tell. We'll see what happens with baseball. Things are changing, it seems like, every day, every single week at the very least. And any new coverage from the Major League Baseball season, we will have covered for you right here on the show. We will quickly transition into a new topic for our program, third episode of Slightly Sideways, and this will be our first opportunity to talk about some NBA. The NBA has restarted their season in a much different way than we've seen in other leagues around the United States. Corbin, do you want to talk about the formula that the NBA is using? Yeah, so before we kind of get into that formula, I think what's kind of interesting to note is the environment that the NBA has kind of set for its players and its staff and everyone. They're having kind of the bubble format where they have everybody pretty much on lockdown at the Disney World resorts. So not really letting anybody in, anybody out. And so far, it's been pretty amazing as far as results. There haven't been any really, really any positive tests for anybody like inside the bubble Games have been played without any delays or rescheduling. So the bubble looks on point. Just your quick opinion on that, Koenig. Do you think it was going to go this well? Do you like it? I didn't think it was going to go as well as it did. I think basketball is very much a game that is more of a contact sport. Players are constantly bumping into each other. And you know, even something as simple as how many players are touching the ball throughout the game all it would take was one guy on one team to catch it. And then you're passing the ball around the court and everyone's bumping into each other and the, everyone's sweating. And I, I thought certainly the NBA was going to have a difficult time containing any kind of outbreak. But to their credit, they've done fairly well to this point. Yeah, I'm right there with you. It's been pretty cool to see because one thing that's really been irking me about a sport like baseball is seeing these games rescheduled. So the fact that NBA is not having any of those issues is pretty awesome. But uh, as as you mentioned there, there's has been a restart formula here for the NBA and kind of teams vying to get into the playoffs here still. Kind of the formula that they've set for the teams is there's 22 teams in total. There's uh, nine teams from the East and 13 teams from the West. And a lot of you are kind of wondering like, huh, why is that so imbalanced? Why wouldn't they just do 11 and 11? The reason being is if you look at the current standings before the bubble games had taken place, there was really only one team in the Eastern Conference that really had a chance to get to that eight spot with the restart formula. And there were a lot more teams in the Western Conference that were closer to that eight spot. So the NBA did some tweaking, and that's why we have kind of that imbalance of the nine in the East and the 13 in the West. I'm okay with it. I think it's fine. There might be some people who think it's a little bit favoritism toward the West, but I think since there's such a huge gap, I don't think people should complain. What are your thoughts on that, Koenig? I think it's fair. I think especially when you consider that these teams are getting an opportunity to finish their eight games inside the bubble. Obviously, the East really was all but decided at the shutdown. I mean, I guess the Wizards were invited, but even then, they're mathematically, I don't even think, in it anymore. But it's very interesting, the picture in the Western Conference, because you have, what is it, six teams that are vying for that 8-9 position? Yeah, so you kind of touched on it briefly there. Each team, when this when this restarted happened, had eight games to play. And uh, like you mentioned, the Wizards, since the restart to now, there's been about four or five games played for each team. So we're about halfway, more than halfway done with the restart season. 
But like you mentioned, there's the six teams in the West right now, which are all pretty dang close to the eight, nine. And I, I know you guys are probably wondering like, why are you talking about the nine spot? Well, it's actually a pretty interesting idea that the NBA has for this restart. How it works is if there's a gap of four games or less between the number eight team and the number nine team, they'll actually have a playoff series, a little mini series against each other, if you will. It is a little wonky. The nine seed would actually have to beat the eight seed twice in order to take that eighth and final playoff spot, whereas the eight seed would only have to beat the nine seed once. So right now, as far as from the eight seed down to the Sacramento Kings, which are technically the bottom of the standings for the West, there's only a three and a half game difference. So Yes, there are only about three or four games left to be played for these teams, but mathematically, everybody seems to kind of still be in it, which uh, has been very, very exciting, if I have to say so on my end. Do you think this has been an exciting restart? Do you like this formula, Koenig? I like the fact that they're getting an opportunity to kind of get back into the pace of play. The players are getting an opportunity to, before the playoffs begin, kind of get their conditioning back, get their legs under them a little bit be able to just get back in the flow and the rhythm of the game. I mean, we talked about this last week. The NHL, we really didn't do much of that. But credit to the NBA, their restart formula has been really, really successful. And I think it's beneficial for the players. I think it's going to create some better matchups when we do get to the postseason. And I do like this 8-9 play-in opportunity. Obviously, it still gives the advantage to that 8 seed because they're playing, you know, they have double elimination, whereas they only have to beat that 9 seed once. But hey, credit to the NBA. If the 9 seed can beat the 8 seed twice in a row, then they deserve to be in the playoffs over the 8 seed, in my opinion. So I like that extra piece. It's an extra little bit of flair to the playoffs. I like that. I agree. It's a really interesting idea. It makes it a lot more exciting, especially if you are right on that verge. If you are that nine seed, you still have a chance, which is great for that team. One thing to touch on, too, is as far as the other games being played, so the other teams that are currently in the one through seven seeds in each conference, they are still, of course, playing their games as well. Those are important because they can still shift within the one and seven spots. So if a team plays well, they could potentially move up in the standings. If the team plays poorly, they can go down. So those games are still important for those teams in the one through seven spots as well. The most interesting thing, in my opinion, is that eight, nine matchup. And I think it's fun to kind of look at the West here, because like I said, the West is so close. It's so jam-packed. Right now, we have the Memphis Grizzlies, who are holding on to the eight seed with a one-and-a-half game lead over the Trailblazers, who are in the ninth seed. But again, there's teams that are right on their heels. The teams like the Spurs, the Pelicans, the Suns, and even the Kings have still have an outside chance. I want to get your opinion, Koenig. I want to see... I want to hear your prediction for who you think is going to get those last eight or nine spots and who you think is going to ultimately win that, that mini series and get into that eight spot for the one through eight. So for me, it really comes down to scheduling. I think the schedule imbalance between the teams that are alive, and I'm going to limit it to three teams. I think Memphis has a realistic chance as do the trailblazers and as do the Suns. I don't think that the Spurs, Kings, and Pelicans can catch those teams given their current run of form in the bubble. I mean, I think two of those teams are one and three, and I think the Spurs are two and two since they've returned to play. So they're not playing particularly well, whereas the Suns and the Trailblazers have been playing very well since the restart. And Memphis, to their credit, they were the eight seed going in. They haven't really played very well, but 
they're doing just enough so far to keep hold of where they're at. So you have the Grizzlies who have three games remaining. They have the Raptors, Celtics, and Bucks, which is a brutal end of the season schedule. Granted, I think that the Bucks wrapped up the one seed already. I think the Raptors can't fall. So I think those three teams are pretty much locked. I don't think there's going to be much movement there. So maybe they rest some of their players. I'm not sure. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. But go ahead. Oh no! I was just gonna—I was gonna say that's a, an interesting perspective there. Um, the the really great thing is a lot of times you get to the end of the season and you start looking at okay, who are the remaining teams? And if this was a regular season, you may be playing some really poor teams. You know, you might be playing the Cleveland Cavaliers or the Atlanta Hawks. The really great thing here is you're you're not getting those poor matchups. All these teams that are playing in this restart formula are playing for something. So you're either playing teams that are firmly in the playoffs right now or you're playing teams that are busting their ass to get into the playoffs. So although I will agree with you that that is a tough schedule as far as the remaining games there for the Grizzlies, you can make an argument that all these teams have hard remaining games because everybody's trying as best as they can because every game is so valuable. So I that's my take on that. Yes, there are schedules on paper that look harder than others, but at the end of the day, I think all these schedules are difficult. Yeah, that's a fair point. But given two spots that are available, I have the three teams fighting for it. Portland, they had the Clippers. I guess they lost that game last night. I guess someone missed some clutch free throws down the stretch that really cost the Trailblazers in that game. But they have to close out the year. They've got the 76ers, Mavs, and Brooklyn Nets, which I think is a pretty favorable schedule. I mean, it's a lot better than maybe Memphis's schedule. And then you have the Suns, who are finishing out their season with the Miami Heat, Oklahoma City, the 76ers, and the Mavs. So I think in terms of matchups, I think given Memphis their run of form since the restart, I could easily see them losing those three games against the Raptors, Celtics, and Bucks. It's just a really, really unfavorable schedule. I do think that Portland will end up leapfrogging the Grizzlies to capture that eight seed. I think Portland has been playing really well outside of last night. Unlucky for Portland, they didn't get the job done last night. Lillard has been phenomenal. Gary Trent Jr. leading the league with 22 threes since the restart in the first four games. And speaking of Lillard, I think we have to give a shout out to an old Big Sky foe. Is that right? Absolutely. So Damian Lillard, the pride of Weber State from the Big Sky Conference. We, uh, Me and Koenig went to school at Northern Arizona University, which is in the Big Sky Conference. So we were uh, privileged to see Damian Lillard play live. I actually saw him in a more or less a glorified elementary school cafeteria. <laughs> Our <laughs> Pretty school- much. Our school, the basketball team would actually play in the football stadium. However, the basketball season would start while football season was still going on. So they would actually have them play in this building called the Roll Activity Center, which, again, was a very, very tiny gym. So it was always funny to see a player like Damian Lillard, this future NBA superstar, playing in this little shoebox, if you will. And we were used to him coming in and dropping 50 on us. So... uh, Shout out to Damian Lillard and the Big Sky. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, that was such a surreal experience. Like you said, the Roll Activity Center is legitimately an elementary school cafeteria, and Lillard was just bossing everybody. It makes you wonder how a player like Damian Lillard slipped through the cracks and made his way to Weber State. You know, how did people miss him? 
Yeah, but you know what? Great players come from everywhere, and Steph Curry played at a small school, so you don't have to go to this huge, giant school to become a good player. And it's just really great to see that good players can come from anywhere, and there are always great storylines when they do. Absolutely. And so to kind of finish our point about that 8-9 matchup, I do think, like I said, I do think the Trailblazers will capture that 8 seed from Memphis. They do have a slightly more favorable schedule. I think they're playing at a better level right now. I think Lillard dropped 45 the other night. Like I said before, Gary Trent Jr. is absolutely tearing it up as well. So, you know, that's great to see. He's also playing some pretty great defense on the perimeter for Portland. But the real question is, could the Suns catch the Grizzlies to get into that nine spot? And I think that the window is kind of closing for the Suns. They are playing very well right now. They do have four games remaining. Memphis only has three, but I think the Suns would have to win out to have any kind of chance of capturing that spot. Is that correct? Well, let's get real here. I'm going to rewind, and I know you're hot to try on the Trailblazers, but I think the Trailblazers have no chance, and this is my reasoning behind it. The Trailblazers are one and a half games behind Memphis for the eight seed, and they have one extra game played. So if Memphis were to win their next game, they would have a two-game lead with three games left to play. So I'm not going to be one to predict that the Trailblazers, who haven't been able to get it together all season, are all of a sudden going to magically win out and the Grizzlies are magically going to lose out, especially since Memphis is coming off of a win and the Trailblazers are coming off of a loss. So I think Memphis has got that spot locked up for eight. The real question is, is, yeah, can the Suns catch the nine spot, who I do think will be the Trailblazers ultimately? Right now, the Suns are one game behind the Trailblazers, and the Suns are the hottest team in the bubble. They've won four in a row. They've beat a lot of good teams. They've been playing really good basketball. They haven't just been getting super, super lucky, albeit they did have a game-winning shot against the Clippers, Devin Booker, which was pretty clutch if I must say so but they're overall playing really really well and in this restart formula especially with an eight game condensed season I'm gonna ride the hot hand I'm gonna ride the Phoenix Suns yes on paper their remaining games look tough but I will take a surging team that's won four in a row that's one game behind that potential nine spot I think the Suns get it and I'll even go one further and say that the Suns are gonna beat the Grizzlies two straight games and they're going to get that eight seed so pretty remarkable stuff considering when this restart happened the Suns were pretty much up shit creek without a paddle but crazy things happen when you have a condensed season like this restart and you win four in a row so that's my pick Suns are going to get that nine spot and they're going to win that play-in series and then they're going to get swept by the Lakers <laughs> <laughs> in true Suns form just get yes. bounced in the first round by the Lakers so there's a lot more NBA coming your way. That NBA playoffs format does kick off on August 17th. We will have more coverage of that once the teams have been finalized. We'll do a preview and predictions on next week's show, and we'll have much more NBA coming your way in the future. All right. Well, we also want to roll into the NHL now. So as far as the breakdown, last week those playoff series were about to start there with the playing games as well as the top four seeds trying to figure out what order they were going to be in for the final eight for each conference. Looks like there's been a lot of development as far as the series and the play-in games. Koenig, do you want to kind of give your opinion on uh, uh, what you've seen so far as well as kind of go down the rundown of what teams are where? 
Yeah, so like we said on last week's show, the seeding for these playoffs, you can absolutely just completely disregard that. There's been so many notable upsets already in these NHL qualifiers. You had the Penguins as the five seed in the East. They were eliminated by the Canadiens. The Edmonton Oilers, who were the five seed in the West, they're gone as well. They got eliminated by the veteran Chicago Blackhawks. And then you had the sixth seed Nashville Predators got bounced in four games by the Arizona Coyotes. Yeah, baby. <laughs> so it's been just so many unknowns. Literally, the seeding doesn't mean anything, it seems. And we had some March Madness magic with the 12 seeds upsetting the 5 seeds. So it's literally anybody's cup, like we said last week. And both number one seeds lost in the round robin. You know, the Blues lost a couple of games. The Bruins look like they're about to lose their third game here. And it goes back to what we said last week on this topic, which is some of those better teams who are playing well going into the shutdown kind of lost that momentum. And some of the maybe the lesser quality teams like those 12 seeds or even the Coyotes who snuck into the playoffs, all they needed was an opportunity to make a splash in the postseason. And credit to those teams, they're making the best of their chances. Yeah, there's definitely been some rust with the restart, and you could definitely see that with teams like the Bruins, like the St. Louis Blues, teams that were absolutely clicking when the season went on pause. And now they're just kind of struggling to get back to form. You can kind of see in these series that conditioning is a big problem for a lot of teams. Players are seeming to run out of gas in the third period. And, you know, in these overtime games, you can just see guys really dragging out there. There's also some issues there as far as chemistry. You can see some players, their passing just isn't as crisp as it usually is this time of year as far as the playoffs go. But it's really opened the door for just about anybody to take advantage. And the teams that are a little bit hotter, whether they be higher or lower seeds, they're taking advantage. It's It's been really, really crazy to see teams like the Bruins and the Blues they're both now just fighting just to get a three seed if they both lose they'll be playing as a four seed and it's just been absolutely crazy but I've really really enjoyed it so far the qualifiers have been surprisingly entertaining going into these series I thought there were going to be a lot of snooze fests in there especially with the 12-5 matchups you know I thought that the Edmonton Oilers were going to do a lot better than they did unfortunately their defense was their Achilles heel and veteran group like Chicago with Taves and Kane and Corey Crawford and Duncan Keith I mean they absolutely capitalized on Edmonton's weaknesses and you know that's just what a a veteran team that has experience who's been there done that they've won a few cups themselves they absolutely exposed a younger team like the Oilers but it has been fun it has felt exciting It feels like the Stanley Cup playoffs, which is kind of a question mark I had going in, you know, especially without the fans, how would the players respond? And to the players' credit and to the league's credit, it does feel like the Stanley Cup playoffs, which is obviously fantastic to see. That's a good point. And there there are a couple things with this format that I'm not too keen on so far. I, I do feel bad for these teams that are in like the five or six seed that Let's face it, if the regular season would have continued as normal, they would have probably comfortably gotten into the playoffs. So the fact that these teams are having to play these play-in games and a lot of them are getting bounced in the first round is kind of rough to see. There are fans of those teams that think the system is a little rigged, if you will, and I can kind of see that, so it's unfortunate. Also, these some of these games being played in the middle of the week at like really odd times, like 11.30 in the morning, I I understand they need to get these games played to get the final eight for each conference settled. 
but it's been a little quirky, especially for like the working man. It's it's not so easy just to watch your favorite team play a full game. I found myself kind of watching my phone for a lot of scores because obviously I'm working Monday through Friday. Yeah, I was in the same boat. I mean, I know the Bruins had a game. I think it was their game against the Lightning. That was on at like one o'clock in the afternoon here on the West Coast. And I was like, yeah, well, okay, um, it's the middle of my work day. I'm not going to be able to watch that. You know, I kind of had the game on the, to the side of my desk and everything, but I wasn't able to watch it as much as I wanted to. It, but it does kind of have that March Madness feel to it. It's like games are going on throughout the day, all times of the day. As soon as one game ends, another begins. And so that's kind of fun to watch. It's exciting. I think that the best of five format kind of adds that new element of intensity Obviously, the players are always going to be dialed in when it comes to Stanley Cup playoffs, but when it's a best of five as opposed to a best of seven, it kind of adds that extra little bit of edge and intensity, and the players kind of take it up a level because you don't have as big a margin for error. You miss one game, you have one stinker, and you're really, really hurting yourself. Right, and and one thing, as far as the, the NHL playoffs go, one thing that makes playoffs in, in general just so great is drama and big events that happen in games. And we had that in, in one of our series here between the Calgary Flames and the Winnipeg Jets. Koenig, do you want to kind of speak to the incident that happened within that series and what the controversy is? In that series, the Battle of Alberta, Calgary, and Winnipeg, you had in game one, I believe, a Matthew Kachuk goes into the boards to finish a check on Mark Shifley. And Shifley makes this maneuver to try to evade the hit from Kachuk. And I saw this game live, and this kind of happened behind the play. The puck goes into the defensive zone. I, I believe it was for Winnipeg. And then, you know, you just see the ref kind of putting his arms up and blowing his whistle. And so I'm thinking, you know, someone's scrapping, someone's punching somebody, you know, something's going on behind the play. So you don't really see it in real time, but you go back and you watch the replay and it looks like Matthew Kachuk kind of lost an edge going into the boards. And you couple that with the fact that Shifley tries to make a maneuver to avoid the hit. And what ended up happening was... Kachuk's skate went into the back of Shifley's leg, kind of around his Achilles tendon, and Shifley goes down in a heap. He's injured, clearly, and unfortunate for Winnipeg, they do lose Shifley for that series, and so there is this outrage that's happening right now because, you know, it is a Kachuk. He does have a history. Paul Maurice going after Kachuk in the post-game press conference, calling it a dirty hit, a filthy hit that could have ended Shifley's career. So, Corbin, what are your thoughts on it? What did you see when it happened or when you watched the replay? What did you think about that? At first glance, when you, like you said, when you watch it in real time, it doesn't look like much. It just kind of looks like Shifley catches an edge along the boards and just kind of falls over. But you get that slower replay from different angles once they kind of go back to, to look at the play specifically. And... I don't want to say that Kachuk was trying to hurt him. I don't think he was. However, I do think he was trying to slow him down in a sense. I don't want to say trip, but I guess that would probably be the best word to kind of describe it. It just kind of looked like he was just trying to kind of catch him off balance a little bit just so he would maybe not get back on the break as, as quickly as he could have and you can definitely tell that he extends his leg in a way where he's kind of pointing his skate towards Shifley's skate. I think it was a freak accident when it all came down to it. I don't think he was trying to hurt him. 
it's really unfortunate. Like you mentioned, if you know, this is a Kachuk and the, the Kachuk family, you know, going back to the father, Keith Kachuk, they are known for being rowdy and kind of feisty and they just kind of have that reputation. So when things like this happen, other players and staff around the league kind of wonder like, Oh, are they doing this on purpose? I, I think if it would have been any other player on Calgary that this would have say you take Kachuk out and you put in a player like Johnny Goudreau, I don't think this would be as big of a story. I think more people would be inclined to say that it was an accident rather than on purpose. That's a fair point. And, you know, I think in hockey in particular, the more you slow down a replay, you see this to a certain extent, maybe in football also, the more you slow down a replay, the more intentional things seem. If you consider the pace of play and, and the fact that players are kind of flying all over the ice, to say that Kachuk went out of his way to do this and Kachuk kind of turns over his shoulder to kind of see where the puck is. And it's not like he's staring at the back of Shifley's leg to kind of see where he needs to put his skate to do this. So it is, in my opinion, it is a bit of a freak accident. I don't necessarily think that there's anybody that is evil enough to go out and try to hurt somebody. I don't really see that in the NHL. I mean, PK Subban in the playoffs a couple of years ago, he stepped on the back of somebody's leg in a similar circumstance and I think this is just part of hockey. It's players are out there. They're competing for their lives every second of every shift in the postseason. They're fighting to try to win a championship. And when you combine the physical nature of hockey with that fact, you know, shit happens. That's all part of hockey. And it's unfortunate. We feel badly for Shifley. Obviously, we wish him success in his recovery with that injury. But I don't think it's fair to suggest that Kachuk did that intentionally. I think that's just that competing nature in the playoffs. I'm right there with you, and it'll be interesting to see how this kind of overflows to next season. These teams are obviously going to be playing each other a lot next year, being two Canadian teams there in the West. So we'll see if there's any retaliation going forward. But as as more develops with the NHL playoffs, we'll, of course, have those updates there for you. Right now, we do want to move on into our football section of the show for all you football heads out there. For this uh, episode here, we want to just focus mainly on college football. The point being, there's a lot going on in college football right now, and the NFL is just kind of starting to get going. So we'll have much, much more coverage on the NFL as that develops. The one minor thing that's coming out of the NFL, if I could just bring it up real quick, there is some news out of the Las Vegas Raiders as far as their current stadium situation. Koenig, do you want to kind of brief the people on, on what we're seeing here from the Raiders? So we haven't seen a whole lot of discussion in the NFL regarding fans, regarding how they're going to announce that. Some teams have already announced plans for the future. The Las Vegas Raiders have come out and announced that they'll be playing their games with no fans, which is interesting to see. I know the Packers have had discussions about potentially playing with a fraction of their fans. You know, Lambeau holds, I don't know how many it is, probably 70,000, 80,000. And they've, they've had discussions about having a much smaller crowd for those games so it makes you wonder now that the Raiders have announced this are more NFL teams going to follow suit and do the same thing yeah and I think it is going to completely depend on team to team I think the Raiders issue lies a little bit deeper than just the whole pandemic right now I, I do have friends and family who live in Vegas who have said that the new stadium is kind of 
as far as parking goes and like accessibility to the public, it's kind of in no man's land right now. They haven't really done much to address the public parking situation. And I know that's a big, big issue for not only the Raiders, but just like the city of Las Vegas. I know the Raiders were encouraging people to like park at the casinos on the strip and to like shuttle over to the game which just seems like an absolute nightmare. So I, I honestly think that this is just their way of trying to save face. Like, oh yeah, we're doing the right thing by not having fans in there. But I also think this is just helping them buy time to figure out their transportation situation. Because from what I've heard and from what I've seen, I have seen where the stadium is located in Vegas. It doesn't look good on the front of transportation. Yeah, certainly. And any anytime you suggest parking on the strip and busting in, it the strip is bad enough as it is, and then yeah. you're gonna throw like <laughs> seventy thousand people trying to park. It's just gonna be a complete nightmare. So that's, I think the Raiders could benefit from having a little bit extra time. But we'll see how this all plays out. We'll see how the NFL goes forward with this. We'll see what teams decide to do. And on the topic of fans, we'll quickly transition into our discussion of college football. And I know we mentioned this on our Twitter account earlier in the week at Slightly Sideway. If you're not following us already, give us a follow. UConn became the first FBS program to completely suspend its football season in 2020. And just yesterday, you had the MAC coming out saying that their conference is going to suspend their play as well. Corbin, I just want to get your thoughts on this in particular in regard to the suspension of play. Will this be a precursor of things to come? And will other football programs follow suit? Yes, I, I'm not going to say all programs. I think this mostly affects teams that are not within the Power Five conferences. Uh, a team like UConn, who desperately relies on those beat 'em up games, if you will. Hey, let's go to Alabama. We'll get crushed, but they'll give us a $500,000 check just for showing up. Teams like UConn and teams from the MAC conference, they rely on that income to operate their program. And this actually stems from decisions made by the Power Five conferences. We'll, we'll get into that here in just a second, but a bunch of Power Five conferences have said, you know what, we're not going to mess around with non-conference games. We're just going to go straight into our conference schedule, and that'll be our season. And it's directly impacting the little brothers, if you will, of college football. And like, let's make no mistake about it. These programs are, in a sense, businesses. They're not going to do something that's going to lose money. And these programs are smart enough to realize, yes, we know what will make money and won't make money. And if they play a current schedule with just playing their conference and not getting those those game checks from big schools, it's not viable for them to operate. Fair enough. And I mean, these, like you said, the smaller programs that rely on playing those non-conference games for the success of their program, I think as more teams start to announce what their conference schedule or what their games for 2020 are going to be. You're going to see more of these group of five schools and, and lower kind of dropping out of the picture and saying, you know, it's not worth it. There's no financial or fiscal incentive for us to continue. And then, of course, you have the dangers to our student athletes. And so that kind of ties into what conferences have announced already. You have the Big Ten who kind of kicked this off with announcing that they weren't going to have any non-conference games. And then the Pac-12 and SEC kind of followed suit and said, well, the Big Ten's not doing it, so we're not going to have any non-conference games either. You have the Big 12 who had kind of a, a weird one. And then, Corbin, I want to get your thought on this also. They've announced nine conference games and then one non-conference home game. Yeah, I think it's pretty ridiculous, honestly. It's pretty much the Big 12 saying to 
in a non-conference team, yeah, we'll play you, but like, you have to come play here. We're not going to bother and going and playing there. So this kind of seems like there's just such this premium conference that they can't be bothered by playing non-conference games. Like if you're going to announce that you're going to play non-conference games, you need to be open to potentially playing on the road. But I, I mean, I understand that a lot of the non-conference games for teams in like the big 12 are against some chumpier schools, if you will. But there are also like a good example is the big 10 and the pac 12 actually had a bunch of elite matchups scheduled for this year. Ohio state was supposed to go and play at Oregon. So I feel like if the big 12 had a matchup somewhat like that, where they had to play a bigger team or as big of a team on the road that they should have honored that. I feel like they're just kind of like playing the, Oh, we're so elite card and you have to come play here or, or else we're not going to play. That was the vibe I got from it as well. A very holier-than-thou perspective. Like, we're too good to go and play anybody else on the road. So, Big 12, get your shit together, dude. The ACC kind of has an interesting scenario also. They've announced that their season will consist of 10 conference games and one out-of-conference game. However, that out-of-conference game will be Notre Dame, which is almost like an adopted uh, ACC team for the upcoming season. Is that right? Yeah, so before the season, as far as before all these changes happened, Notre Dame had actually had an agreement with the ACC conference this year to play six games against ACC opponents. And then due to changes around the the landscape of college football, like I said, the Pac-12 saying, hey, we're not going to have non-conference games, that automatically eliminated Stanford and USC from Notre Dame's schedule. So Notre Dame was running the risk of maybe not having enough opponents to play a full schedule And the ACC kind of came to their aid and said, hey, we'll kind of adopt you as this honorary ACC team this year. You'll play, I believe it's 10 games that uh, Notre Dame is going to play, but they're going to essentially play a full conference schedule. And what's really wild is they're not technically part of the ACC, yet they'll qualify for the ACC championship game. So if they play well enough, you could potentially see Notre Dame as an ACC champion when they're not even part of the conference. (laughs) That would just be peak... 2020 with everything that's happened this year something as quirky as this independent school now an adopted atlantic coast conference team potentially finding their way into that acc championship game we assume that would be against clemson but they play well enough like you said you could find notre dame to win an acc championship would just be the craziest outcome i think in all this I'm not a big Notre Dame fan. I feel like most of the time they're overrated because their schedule is so weak. I'm really hoping that this is going to be a wake-up call to them and other independent schools to say, hey, look, like it's more in our benefit to play in an actual conference with solidified teams that are... I don't want to say that they're like they're great or they're good, but they're consistent at least. You, know, you usually see Notre Dame's schedule and they're playing... Navy and Western Michigan and Indiana and just these schools that there's there's no way that these schools are gonna are gonna beat Notre Dame and they know it so hopefully they get with the times and on all other independent schools as well and they just say you know what it's better for us just to join a conference and we'll see kind of where this takes us I think it'll be interesting going forward yeah and there's a whole lot more discussion about college football, obviously, there's a little bit of time before we get into that season. But on next week's show, there's going to be that discussion of fans. We've had it for every other sport. What does that look like for college football? Should there be fans? Will there be fans? And if no fans, what does the artificial pumped-in crowd noise sound like for those games? Are, is there going to be sound 
pumped in or not? And if so, how much will there be? You'll just have to tune in next week to find out our take on that. And moving right along, we want to go into the much-anticipated The Unknown section. So to kind of give you more details on The Unknown, we kind of brainstormed this after last week's show, after we uh, put Koenig through the trivia gauntlet. If you haven't heard that show already, go ahead and go to Spotify and search Slightly Sideways Podcast to give that a listen. But... After after that show and after that, that trivia, we kind of said to ourselves that it was a lot of fun for us and the viewers enjoyed it. And we wanted to kind of have a section where we would alternate each week and just kind of do quirky things that the other person didn't really know about. And just kind of get those live reactions and just see how much fun we can have to kind of end the show. Uh, I'm going to officially start off the unknown, even though I technically started last week. But now that it's an actual defined segment of the show i'm gonna go ahead and we're gonna ride the bus with oh man oh god (laughs) this is the official torture caning section of the program now (laughs) so as far as ride the bus it's a pretty popular card game drinking card game i may add for people out there who don't know caning have you ever have you ever heard of ride the bus have you ever played ride the bus never but knowing you i know it's bad for me Okay. Well, so it's very, very simple. It's essentially high or low for the most part. We're going to do a little warm-up part here, just kind of get the thought going in the brain, the juices pumping, if you will. Uh, You are going to have to have a drink handy, so do you have a beverage on your end there to uh, fulfill your duties? I do. All right. So what do you have? Again, just remind the people here what you have over there right now. So in my Sea Dog Brewing Company glass out of Camden, Maine, can't get enough of this glass. It's got a dog on it with a raincoat. And inside the glass, we do have the official Paps Blue Ribbon. Fantastic drink for light beer anyways. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll go ahead and jump right into it here. So a little warm up round. I have a deck of cards in my hand, 52 cards. The first card, you're going to tell me if it's red or black. And if you're wrong, you have to take a drink. Great. Okay. Uh, I'll go with black. Oh, that's unfortunate. It is a Queen of Diamonds, so it is a red card. So go ahead and take a drink there on your end. (laughs) We're off to a great start. This next card is going to be high or low based off of the Queen that we just pulled out. So is this next card going to be higher or lower than a Queen? I'll say lower. Lower. That is correct. It is a four. You get to be safe on that one. Now, this next card, you're going to pick if it's going to be outside or inside the queen and the four that you just drew. I'll say inside. Inside is correct. It is a seven. And then the last little warm-up card here for you uh, is going to be suit. you got to guess the suit of this card I'm going to pull off the top of the deck. I'll say it's a spade. It is a spade. Ten of spades. That's oh, actually pretty impressive. Thank you. So good job on the warm-up there. This doesn't really pertain too too much to ride the bus um i guess the higher low does because that's the most important thing so what i'm doing right now is i'm laying out 10 cards in a row and the objective is you need to go from card one all the way to card 10 in order to get off the bus how it works is the first card gets flipped over and the first card that i'm looking at right now is a three so you need to tell me if the next card off the top of the deck is going to be higher or lower than the three if it's a tie, you just guess again, and then we'll flip over the next card. 
But uh, if you guess right, then you go on to card number two. And then if you guess that card right, you go to card number three, and so on and so on. If you mess up anywhere along the line through the ten cards, you have to go all the way back to the beginning and start fresh with the top card on the first pile. Okay. So you pretty much got to go ten straight correct answers or you get kicked back to the beginning. And every time you get a card wrong, you have to take a drink. So it could get pretty sloppy here uh, if, you're, <laughs> if your guessing skills aren't up to par. Great. All right, well, so we'll go ahead and dive right into it. So the first card, like I mentioned, is that three. Is it going to be higher or lower? Higher. That is correct. The card that I just pulled is a nine. Ooh, you got lucky on this next one here. It's an ace, and just to reiterate, ace is high in this game. Okay, so I'll say lower than an ace. Okay, and it is a queen. You are correct. The next card is a four. Higher than a four. Just barely. It was a five, so oh. that's correct. Man, you're... Oh, damn it, you're getting... <laughs> this next card I pulled is a two, so you're getting really lucky right now. I'll say it's going to be higher than a two. Oh, you think? Okay, it's an eight, so that's <sighs> correct. Okay, the next card is a jack. Lower than a jack. Lower than a jack? It is a three. Damn, okay, so you're five for five, which is not very entertaining for people listening at home. So We're running the table. Here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, the next card is a six. Ooh. I'll say higher than a six. Higher than a six? Oh, it's a two. Oh, two of clubs. <laughs> that sucks. Okay, so to go ahead and take a drink there on your end, and we're sending you all the way back to the beginning. So the first card up in the first pile is a nine. Lower. And it was also a nine that I pulled, so go ahead and give another guess. Uh, Lower. Ooh, it's a king. So God. luckily you're already on the one spot, but you do have to drink. So go ahead and take a drink on your end there. Okay, so with that king, higher or lower? Say lower. Lower. It is a six, so that is correct. You got that one right. The next card is a queen. Lower. Oh, and this is a tough break. Ace of diamonds. <laughs> All right, so back to the beginning. Take your drink first. All right, there you go. <laughs> God. Okay, back to square one. Now, so this game ends either by him getting to the end or us running out of cards in the deck. So if he runs through the entire deck and he hasn't finished, then that's the end of the game. <laughs> Great. Okay, so, so the six is the top card in the first pile, higher or lower? Higher. Oh, shit, it's another two. Oh, oh that my sucks. God, <laughs> Okay, well, at least you got... Th these next two cards are going to be easy. So the top card of the first pile is a two. Is it going to be higher or lower? Higher. <laughs> Correct. And then the next card in pile two is an ace. I'll say lower. It's a king. It is lower. Oof. And then your next card in pile three is a five. Higher than a five. It was another five, so go ahead and guess again. We'll say higher again. Okay, it was a king, so you're correct. All right, the next card in pile four is an eight. Ugh. Say lower. Oh, shit, ten. Ten of hearts. <laughs> so you're going back, <laughs> back, to the, back to the front seat. So go ahead and take your drink there for your incorrect answer. All right, and the first card in the first pile is a jack. Lower. That is correct. It is a six. Your next card is a king. Lower than a king. 
That is correct. Your next card is also a king. Lower, Bob. That is correct. That is a three. All right, you're up to pile. You're up to pile four. The card is a ten. Lower. That's correct. It's an eight. Okay, you're on pile five. The card is a three. Higher than a three. That is correct. It's a ten. All right, so you're over the halfway mark. So you're on pile six now, and you got an easy card. You got a two that's showing here. All right, higher. Ooh, just barely. It's a three. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're on... Oh, man, you got lucky here. So you're on card number seven, and that's an ace. I'll say lower. That is correct. It's a seven. Okay, you're on card number eight, which is a queen. Lower. Correct. That's an eight. Ooh, you're on card number nine, which is also a queen. Lower. That is correct. That is a four. Oh, you're on your final. Oh, you're on your final card, and it's a seven. Oh, oh shit. Oh my god. <laughs> uh, the sevens and the eights are the worst. I'm gonna say lower. It is lower. It's a yeah, five. Yeah, let's go. Five of hearts. So, oh, oh damn, okay. that was tough. It's always hard to end on those middle tier cards and. What would have sucked for you is if you would have gotten kicked back to the beginning, you would have had to go through a 6, a 9, an 8, a 7, and another 8. So it would have been a crapshoot for you to guess on those ones. So Damn. Not too bad. I've, I've seen instances where people do like 20, 25 drinks. It's uh, quite a mess. So they actually <laughs> did pretty good there. So I, I hope you enjoyed this week's segment of The Unknown. And we'll have much more of the unknown coming for you in later episodes. It's going to be my turn to repay the favor next week. Who knows what <laughs> I'm going to think of to repay him. Yeah, I can only imagine what your sick mind is going to come up with from now and then. I'm sure. Or now until then. <laughs> I'm sure we'll think of something. But that's all we have for you on episode three. If you haven't already, do follow us on Twitter at Slightly Sideway. You'll get a notification every time that we upload a new episode. If you're on Facebook, you can follow us at Slightly Sideways Podcast. If you have any suggestions or feedback for our program, we'd love to hear that from you at our email, slightlysidewayspod at gmail.com. And if you miss our live show, you can catch that, as always, uploaded every Sunday to Spotify at Slightly Sideways Podcast. On next week's program, we do have the NBA playoffs preview and predictions. We'll have Stanley Cup playoffs preview of round one we'll have mlb news i'm sure we're getting mlb news it seems like every week these days and as always we will have that unknown section to look forward to so that is all we have for you on this episode corbin say goodnight to the people at home to all my swedes out there good morning and i hope you have a great day good night everyone